Two middle-aged men in Cleveland, episode 108. We're approaching March, so we got to bring up Oral Hershiser, which is Ted Klopp, Ken Dworsnick, bringing you more fun and exciting stuff. Ted, when I say the number eight in Cleveland, let's just say sports jerseys, what's the yeah. first one you think of? Um, sport, oh, Albert Bell. Albert Bell. Outstanding. So I'd like to give, uh, dedicate this episode to Ray Boone. I, remember, I think you've heard the name Ray Boone. Ray Fossey, two catchers there. There you go. Carmen Castillo. I know that was a fan favorite for you. When we look at basketball, we have Lonnie Shelton. That's, that is a quality player there. Mateen Cleaves, a name you love to say, Matthew Delavadova. Delavadova. Jordan Clarkson, who's actually still playing basketball. He's just playing for uh, Utah. Yeah. And Channing Fry. He was a fan favorite when we won the championship. Okay. For the Browns? Mm, a lot of kickers and punters. I got Remember one. Jeff. The, uh, oh, go ahead. If you have one, go I, ahead. I'm, uh, well, I'm racking my brain. See if you remember that. Was, didn't we have a punter named Johnny Evans? Or number eight. Johnny Evans. 70s or early. I do 80s. not remember Johnny Evans. Uh, I'll look him up here. You go ahead. One of them certainly makes sense. Trent Dilfer. Remember Trent oh, yeah. Dilfer? He played for us for, for I think, a, a hot minute, which was one season. Andy Lee. Remember Andy Lee, the punter? I do. And I know. Derek Frost. Uh, Another Ooh. fine punter. Oh, yeah. This is the one that I remember the most, and I don't know why, because I remember obscure th things. Jeff Jager. Remember him? The Jeff kicker? Jager. Was he a, a relative of Yaramir Yager? I believe so. Okay. Now, well, you know Zoran Korich, too. So I know this is a podcast and we're not doing videos, so people can't see, but uh, I put up on the screen, Ken, you can see. And this is why I remember this name, because I collected football cards in 1980 and 1981. And there is yes. punter Johnny Evans in 1980 oh, and 1981. Wearing so jersey he, number eight. Well, so was he the so if he, he was, was in 8081 season? What's that? He was the punter for the cardiac kids then, correct? Yes. Oh, my. How about that? That's crazy. That'll win you a couple bets at the bottom. Wow, certainly will. Yeah. So those are some of the highlights. Oh, the last one is Josh Johnson. He actually played in the game not too long ago for San Francisco when they ran out oh. of quarterbacks. They threw well, him in. So how about that? You know, there we go. So we, yeah. we, we try to keep things relevant. Sure. Well, how the heck are you doing? It's been a little while since I've talked to you. It has talked been a little to while. Well, the week. Been good, you know. Uh, hockey's uh, business is busy. Business is busy. Hockey is. We're coming to the end here. We got a couple more weeks. Some of our teams are uh, in the playoffs. Some of them might make the playoffs. 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 My youngest son's team was down four to one. In a might hockey game, he plays goalie, and they came back and won eight to five. Oh wow! Put the hammer on him. 
He clamped did you take down the over and, in that game? Did you take the over? I uh yeah, I did. Yeah. Got that one. I also got the uh the over on the number of minutes that he played it, but that's a whole separate thing. So yeah, how about you? Just busy, you know, work has been very busy and uh, just trying to keep up with uh, the children as they have more events going on. So that's been great. And yeah, just uh, be bopping around in Northeast Ohio. have a great out and about went to did a couple different things for that, but right. obviously recovering from the Super Bowl, which was, oh, yeah. wonderful. but Ted, I got to ask you this. Valentine's day was yesterday. All right. Big day. Both you and I married. Obviously, there's certain things we probably need to make sure we get taken care of. What What did you do for Valentine's Day? Well, I uh, I purchased some funny uh, uh, Valentine's cards that uh, myself and the boys gave to my wife, and so I got some uh, roses. We walked in, and I'll tell you what the cards say. The card, I have a picture. One has a picture of Donald Trump, and it says, you stole my heart like a 2020 election. <laughs> and then I have uh, Joe Biden, two words, I love you. And then I have one other Joe Biden. Roses are red because if you shoot a duck, I'm scared of toasters, happy... Well, you know, the thing. So, yeah, we had those three. Uh, oh, I also I also gave um, about your valent. It's a picture of Donald Trump, and I said, your Valentine's gift, it's coming from China. So try to be, you know, try to be equal there and uh, make fun of everybody. So I think we accomplished that. That's great. Yeah. I love it. How about you? Uh, just, you know, the normal flowers and a card. Flowers so that's card. all, you know, we Dinner. Do. it's more about the time. Dinner. The cards were not as fancy as yourself. I mean, I, I was not, I did not think out of the box like that. Just, uh, you know, it's always nice to tell somebody how you feel about them, how much you love them and all that stuff. Yeah. But I'm not going to lie. I'm still recovering from the Super Bowl. I, I, uh, I think I consumed way too much. So not beer, by the way food i ate enough for six people i just completely gorged myself but i i did some research on this i wanted to see you know there's a bunch of different things and people always try to figure out how much of this has been consumed how much of that here's the one that i found that is very shocking, shocking. so on super bowl sunday just yeah. super bowl sunday americans slugged down 325 million gallons of beer Mm. On Super Bowl Sunday. That's a lot of beer. How many gallons did you have of that beer? Uh, I, I, you know what? I was a, a designated driver at my house, so I didn't have it. <laughs> that, I'm going to steal that as well. Yeah. I had one beer. One beer. Because I had so much food, I could not fit another beer into my stomach. Did you have That's one bourbon and one scotch as well, or just one no, beer? No, no. Me and George Thorogood did not hang out, but okay. uh, yeah, just, just one beer, but yeah, Americans, nice job. 325.5 million gallons. Let's see if we get up that next year. 
Oh, Can you imagine if the Browns actually played in the Super oh, Bowl? I, I bet you that would be double. Oh my God! There wouldn't be Gosh. enough. There wouldn't be enough beer in the in the world to uh, handle no. that. That would be like a three day bender. Oh yeah. Jeez. My gosh. Oh boy. Well, uh, I'm sure we'll get into more of the uh, the Valentines and the Super Bowl here as the uh, show goes on. But what memories do you have of WMMS growing up? Oh, geez. Well, I, when I was working in high school at the St. Charles Borromeo, we would have WMMS on. And the one guy that I remember, Lou Santini. Remember Lou Santini? Of he had a, like a midday show. Captain Lou is what they called him. I remember yeah. that. And then I, from my obviously younger years, I remember the Boz Buzzard Morning Zoo. That was yeah. big. My dad listened to that all the time. Uh, that brought back some some big time memories, but yeah, WMMS has always been a part of my listening radio for uh, the radio I listened to for a very long time. How about you? Well, uh, absolutely, the Buzzard Morning Zoo, Len Boom Boom Goldberg, uh, Kid Leo, all those guys, and uh, yeah, I mean WMMS was the station back in the day. The reason why I ask, as you well know, Ken, is because our guest this week is Cleveland radio legend Jeff Kinsbach, the ringleader of the Buzzard Morning Zoo. Can't wait for that conversation. I am so excited. Uh, we'll catch up with him, reminisce about some of radio's best days here in the home of rock and roll, talk to him. We're also going to talk to Cleveland historian John Grabowski. He's also here to talk about another Cleveland icon, Bob Hope. Cleveland sports expert Dusty Sloan will join us to talk about a basketball coaching great who spent lots of time in Cleveland, Bill Fitch. We have all of that. We have overachievers. We have good news. We have clubs clips. And we have much more coming up. And now, a woman's perspective. How does a man take a bubble bath? He eats beans for dinner. This has been A Woman's Perspective. Miss Speak of the Week now, Ken. And of course, uh, President Biden delivered that State of the Union speech. And there were so many interesting moments in that speech. But I think this one may have gotten overlooked. Take a listen to this clip right here. Car prices went up. People got laid off. So did everything from refrigerators to cell phones. I want to just, just, play that again so we're all clear on this. Car prices went up. People got laid off. So did everything from refrigerators to cell phones. Now, I don't know if that's the speechwriter's fault, if he read the teleprompter wrong, but what he said was that cell phones and refrigerators got laid off. Ken, am I wrong? He did, and I would love to lay off my cell phone. Yeah, I, would, I would really would like to tell it to hit the road. I'm gonna play this one more time just so we're uh, everybody's uh, we're all on the same page here. Car prices went up, people got laid off, so did everything from refrigerators to cell phones. Now, you think there's? <laughs> Do you think oh, that uh, refrigerators and cell phones collect unemployment? 
I don't know. I mean, the way some of the things are put together here in the States, it's a good possibility. I know for a while there, there were people getting benefits that have passed away. So, oh, yeah. Maybe a cell phone or a refrigerator, maybe they are collecting a check. I don't know. No. All right. Well, uh, we can do some more research into that. But uh, anyhow, that's right there is our misspeak of the week. Cleveland! This is for you! Time for another Cleveland sports history lesson. And we're joined by our historian, Dusty Sloan, today. A uh, a bit of a sad one, but uh, kind of celebrate a, a great life of a great basketball mind. A year ago, on February 2nd, Bill Fitch passed away at the age of 89. A Hall of Famer, obviously a great coach here with the Cavs, also I have spent some time with the Celtics, Nets, Rockets, and Clippers. Dusty, what can you say about the role Bill Fitch played in basketball? Let's start with here in Cleveland. Without question, Ted, I mean, you talk about the first coach the Cavs ever had in the expansion year of 70-71, spent nine seasons with the Cavs, and obviously the most famous one, as we mentioned before in other episodes, is that Miracle of Richfield team in 75-76, where they went 49-33, and and that was the most wins the Cavs had had to that point. But then, unfortunately, he gets fired, moves on to Boston, and then the first three years at Boston, he was 61, 62, and 63 games. So, obviously, Bill Fitch was a great head coach. He just wasn't always in great situations, obviously, being with an expansion team, and then he goes to the Nets in the late 80s, early 90s. We all know what kind of a train wreck they were. And then he goes to the Clippers in the mid-90s, and we all know how bad they were up until the point where they finally started to succeed after decades of failure. So Bill Fitch was a was an integral part of getting the Cavs into the consciousness of fans in Cleveland, sports fans. And then he went on to have success other places. Yeah, he certainly did. And the, the year he won his championship, Dusty, which many people don't know, it was the second year of Larry Bird playing in the NBA. His first year was Larry Bird's rookie year. And then they won the championship in 81 because they picked up two guys. One's called uh, Robert Parrish and the other one, Kevin McHale. So I think you're going to win a lot of games with those guys. But uh, talking about, obviously, with the Cavs and all that, one isn't wasn't the owner at the time with the Cavs? Wasn't that Ted Stepien? With I Bill believe Fitch. it was the infamous so, Ted Stepien. We've talked about him on this podcast before. I mean, they put rules in place and things like that. I mean, just thinking back, Dusty, I can only imagine the things that he did he had to deal with, with, you know, not having draft picks or trading all your guys and all that kind of stuff. It's not like what things are today with salary caps. I mean, I can only imagine some of the things that Bill Fitch had to deal with. Without question. First of all, he had to deal with coaching an expansion team. And again, it's not like what it would be now where you're giving them all these advantages and expansion drafts and cap room and things like that. The Cavs went 15 and 67 that first year, but there was gradual improvement. Like we said, up into week up to the year six, when they had the miracle of which Richfield lost the Eastern conference finals after that year, they, they went on a run of three straight years being in the playoffs. So despite all of those challenges with Ted Stepien being the owner, I would say that he had a very successful run here. And couple that with um, the idea, not just trading away draft picks, but I think there's something to be said for Bill Fitch's ability to motivate his team because the the players aren't stupid. They, they can see, they know what the owner's doing. 
and Bill Fitch still gets them to play hard when it would be very easy for them to just say, oh, you know, we're, we're not going anywhere here. You know, we're let's, let's just, let's just mail it in. And the fact that he stayed for nine seasons, when I look at the run of coaches that were there after immediately after him, there was no stability in that position again until Lenny Wilkins came on. So the fact that he was able to stick it out for nine years and put up with all of that and still be successful, the Cavs don't haven't always had that, as we know. So he kind of set that standard very early on. Well, a great basketball mind and uh, a great man, uh, by all accounts, Bill Fitch. Uh, as we remember, one of the uh, Cleveland basketball legends, Bill Fitch, with uh, our Cleveland sports history lesson. Thanks, Dusty. Thanks, guys. Cleveland! This is for you! Ted, we have good news, but two parts. How about that? Oh, Isn't that okay. good? All right. So All a right. young man from Scotland was given a 10% survival rate when he was born. The mom's placenta stopped working at 20 weeks. The boy was delivered at 28 weeks and weighed just one pound, eight ounces. Jamie Moore did survive, and now at age four, he's labeled a prodigy. He can do math in six languages and total groceries to the penny. That's impressive. I can't do that. Mom now has high hopes for Jamie, but right now, when he grows up, he wants to be a pirate. How about that? Yeah. Does he mean a Pittsburgh pirate or just a pirate in general? I, that's a good question. I don't know. I'm going to go with a pirate in general. I wouldn't want to pay, play for the Pittsburgh Pirates. No math in six languages. That is just completely impressive. God bless you. I, can, that I mean, impressive. I can count in like four languages. I got English, right? I can hardly count in one. Okay. I got I got uh, Spanish, uno, dos, tres. I got French, un, deux, okay. trois, right? And I got yep. Poland. One ski, two ski, three ski. Uh, well, the other piece of good news as we just continue with the bad jokes here. Researchers at MIT have developed a new AI deep learning model that can predict lung cancer risk up to six years in advance to a single low-dose CT scan. Lung cancer is the deadliest cancer in the world, resulting more in more deaths than the next three cancers combined. It's also extremely difficult to find the disease early by looking at regular scans. And the AI uh, so far, it's about 90% accurate. I want to double check to make sure when you say AI, you're not talking about Alan Iverson, are you? No, no, not artificial Alan intelligence. Iverson. Okay. It's a separate deal there. That is, on a serious note, that is absolutely awesome. That is great. Much, much needed. As anyone knows, lung cancer is, it is spread all over the place, many different ways. So. Any help with that, 90% 90 accuracy on AI right now to help with that is just awesome. Well, that is some good news. Time for another Cleveland history lesson. And our professor, John Grabowski, is with us. And John, have one that obviously when the people hear this person's name, think a lot about a lot of different things. And being that he's from Cleveland, it's very special. Bob Hope. What can you tell us about Bob Hope? Obviously, many people know about his accomplishments, but 
coming from Cleveland, you know, that, that's certainly amazing. was involved with so many big things. Give us a little lesson on, on Bob Hope, if you could. Yeah, well, you know, Bob Bob is, uh, he, he wasn't born in Cleveland. He was born in England. His family was from England. His real name was Leslie Towns Hope. And when Bob was five years old in, in 1908, his father, who was a skilled stonecutter, decided to emigrate to Cleveland. And uh, so the whole Hope family came over. Bob and I they had a number of uh, siblings. And they came and they uh, they settled in what was uh, the area known as Doan's Corners, which is 105th in Euclid at that time, kind of Cleveland's second downtown. And Hope's father's first job was cutting stone for the Church of the Covenant, which was right down Euclid Avenue. The family were actually Anglicans, but they ended up uh, they ended up attending Church of the Covenant. And uh, Bob grew up. He he went to public schools. He went to Fairmount Junior High and Fairmount High School in Cleveland. Um, but he was influenced by that the, the music scene in, in uh, around in and around Don's Corners. And Don's Corners was a jumping place by the 1910s and 1920s. So uh, he got into pop. He got into dance. Uh, he actually was teaching dance at one point. Uh, he got into boxing at one point. Uh, wow. He was he boxed under the name of Packy East. He wasn't terribly successful. Uh, he then got into song and dance routines, and and that's where he began to move away from Cleveland. He moved into the vaudeville circuit, uh, and uh, he would also he would also play times at at uh, some of the theaters, the vaudeville houses at Playhouse Square. And so he became a known commodity by the 1920s in, in vaudeville um, as a great dancer, a good singer, and a, and, and a person who had a light patter. Uh, and uh, eventually he would go on, if we want to take him beyond Cleveland, because he doesn't really pull away from Cleveland. You know? But in the 1930s, he gets into films in Hollywood, and uh, he gets onto Broadway theater. He does a Cole Porter uh a pro project called Red Hot and Blue, and he's he's up there. He's got top billing, one of the top billings on that. And then his real break is in nineteen, the big broadcast of nineteen thirty eight, which is a great film about two ocean liners crossing the ocean and racing. But it's it's where his signature song comes up. Thanks for the memories. Uh -huh. And so he's golden from that point on. He goes into the road pictures and whatever else. But uh, his family remains in Cleveland. And and his father is is one of the masons who carves the uh, guardians of transportation on what is now known as the Hope Memorial Bridge, the old oh, Carnegie yeah. Bridge. Huh. And so the bridge is uh, it's kind of a confusion, but it's probably it may be named after his father, be named after Bob Hope as well. Uh, but he keeps he buys a house for his family in Cleveland Heights. He's obviously in Hollywood at that point. He becomes a championship a golfer, a golf fanatic, and he learns that at a Cleveland golf course. I think it's Highland Highland Hills Golf Course that he he plays. Hmm. Uh, when Cleveland celebrates its uh, sesquicentennial in 1946, uh, uh, basically he he is there as part of the program. He keeps coming back to Cleveland. Up uh, he is he is in Cleveland uh, when the last game is played at. Uh, at the old Cleveland Municipal Stadium. Uh, he's honored in Cleveland by a street, used uh, around, I think it's East 13th, uh, that's named after him in Playhouse Square. Uh, but that bridge, I think, is really the reminder of him. So he, he's, and he was one of a team of 10 men who purchased the Cleveland Indians at one point. Okay. So he was a part owner of the Cleveland team. So he, he never left Cleveland, essentially. And he came back when he could be called back. And we all know him for his work for the USO, World mm -hmm. War II, the Korean War, Vietnam, 
and and even one of the uh, the, the the Gulf Wars. He, sure. he was up in age, he lived. He lived to one hundred and one years old. He so, was, uh, yeah. I mean, you talk about a. Uh, he was a a movie star and a celebrity when movie stars and celebrities were. I mean, big. Bob Hope. That was a big. That, yeah. that name, and the question you know. is where he gets the name. He starts out as Leslie. Right. Where he did he get out that Leslie is not a cool name for a guy, so he changes it to Lester. And then eventually, I believe in the 30s, he changes it to Bob because he's an everyday Bob. I uh, see. And, okay. Uh, his, his joke file uh, has gone to the Smithsonian. There are 500,000 index cards of his jokes. I think they're with it's with the Smithsonian. Let me let me check a note here. Uh, <laughs> It's actually the Library of Congress has Bob Hope's joke file. Wow. wow. Well, uh, so he is an American institution. Love him. Most people do. Um, his, his loyalty to the armed services was just incredible. He's gotten presidential medals. Uh, he's even gotten a military medal. He's the only civilian to have gotten a military medal for what he's done for the troops. Hmm. Amazing. And well, so, you know, it's, I, I'm sitting here in my university office and I can look out the window and see where the, he hung out. It's totally changed now, un, unrecognizable from when he was there in what was Cleveland Second Downtown. Wow. Well, he was, yeah. uh, to say he was an icon is uh, perhaps, uh, that may be understating it, but uh, yeah. okay. he casts a tall shadow yeah. uh, across Across the entire country, I guess I would say. Yeah, yeah. Would you and, say and, and the world. He became you know, he's, he's internationally known, and you know, and I love the title of the song. Thanks for the memories, Bob. Yeah, what she's saying at the last uh, last game at Municipal Stadium. I actually had the opportunity to go to that. It was very special. Yeah, that was well, that's that was cool, Ken. That's really Ken. Cool. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. John, this is a full lesson today, and this is why you listen to this. Obviously, you had the right information about Bob Hope not even being born here and moving here at the age of five. I didn't even know that. So I, I learned something today. So, John, as always, thank you so much for the information on one of the icons from Cleveland, Bob Hope. Thanks again. My pleasure. The most trusted name in journalism, Klops Clips. All right, Ken, here we go. An 82-year-old woman died at Water's Edge Rehab and Nursing Center in Long Island, New York. She was taken to the O.B. Davis Funeral Home, where three hours later she was breathing, taken back to a hospital. Huh. How about that? A similar situation Jeez. back in January in Iowa resulted in a home being fined ten grand. People are apparently becoming experts in playing dead. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. A McDonald's in England is planning to remove a sign advertising its McCrispy burger. Problem is that the McCrispy sign is right next to a sign for a crematorium. <laughs> Some motorists have laughed it off. Others suggested it could be difficult for grieving families to see. We don't have the McCrispy here, right? That's uh, not that I know of. I've never heard of that, unless it's on the special menu. They do have a special yeah. menu at McDonald's, but I don't think that's on yeah. the United States. Oh. Nor is that sign. No. <laughs> a Michigan man says he gave his six-year-old son his cell phone to play a game before bed. A little while later, 
Grubhub orders started showing up at the house. Turns out the boy found his way into his dad's Grubhub account and ordered about a thousand bucks worth of food. <laughs> the kid ordered so much food that Chase Banks sent the dad a fraud alert. Mom does say that uh, Grubhub has contacted them, offering them a thousand dollar gift card, and is considering using the family in an online promotional campaign. Wow. Yeah. What would you do if one of the young clops decided to do that? Nothing good. Same here with the Dwarzny clan. That's not going to fly. That's. It, it, it's. I'm glad it's funny, but if it's it, if if it's you, it's oh only boy. funny when it's not you. You got. Oh it. boy. Cops in Florida say a guy broke into a convenience store, stole a few things, but left his debit card behind. The suspect claimed he left it so he could come back later to pay for the items. (laughs) (laughs) The the guy said, quote, I didn't want to steal anything. You know, that's against the law. The sheriff noted that leaving a debit card does not, does not absolve you from theft or committing burglary. Just so we're clear on that. Uh, that's a very good call. Yeah. Sports, some scores. 3 to 2, 4 to 2, 5 to 3, and 6 to 1. Hey, Ted, I actually have a sports story as well. Oh, do you? Real quick. Go right ahead. Not sure if everyone knows this or not, but the Cleveland Guardians and the Cleveland Browns are both in first place. Thank you. Here we go. And the Cavaliers? Okay. They're not in first. I'm Ted Clock. That's news to me. Ted, we're out and about Northeast Ohio having a wonderful time spending a lot of money on the following. Booze, food, and more booze. Oh, what else? So past week, let's see. What did we do the last two weeks? Went to Dave and Buster's, which you talked about in Westlake. Just myself and Awen. We actually went there to watch the UFC fight. So we watched that. Now, wait a minute. Um, when as two adults, did you play any games? We didn't play any games. No. Okay. I think yeah. I think that's illegal, but okay. No, we didn't. We uh, they made their money on us on beer. Um, we didn't went to the Buckeye Beer Engine. That was very enjoyable. And then uh, we've had the opportunity to kind of check out some other breweries around the area. Uh, many of the same, but we are following the Cleveland Passport that we talked about with Jen Brastovich. We've actually been doing that, so I recommend everyone download that app and and check that out. Now, the highlights, and most times all, all the things that I talk about are comical. This one is a little bit serious for once. I actually donated time with my son, who is trying to get confirmation hours at the St. Augustine Hunger Center. Mm. So on West 14th, we actually didn't serve food. They have a shop now, which is pretty cool, where they've created a market, and they also have like a clothes shop for people to go to. The day we were there, which was a Saturday, we worked from 11 until 2. We actually helped 108 people get groceries and get different food items or different clothes items. 108 people. Wow. 108 people. Yeah, it is very well run. There's a a deacon by the name of Deacon Chris, who kind of is in charge of 
of that. And we worked with some people from St. Francis Xavier as part of the service hours. And it was awesome. I was just blown away by how nice everyone was and, you know, appreciative and, and the volunteers were just outstanding. So if you're looking for a place to donate time or you need to get some hours or something, I highly recommend the St. Augustine Hunger Center and ask to work in the cupboard is what they call it. And they have the shop where you can donate your time and, and help them with things they usually don't help with. So that's what I have for out and about, sir. <laughs> do we have hockey out and about? What, what, what do we well, have? Uh, we will next time because we're going to South Bend for weekend. South Bend. Nice. Yeah. Touchdown so, Jesus. Here we come. Yeah. Uh, I don't, uh, oh, wait a minute. I gotta, I gotta find the, the name of the place. Uh, I got one. I got one. Is it one you could say on the podcast? Or? Yeah, it's, uh, called, help me with this name. Cilantro. Tech, oh, that's yes. Yeah. That's one of my favorite places. Oh my God. That, uh, uh, I, I oh. I, I like to support the little guy, right? Absolutely. So that's like the local version of Chipotle. Yes. Everything is fresh. Everything is available. You don't have to worry about it. The portion sizes are huge. It's ridiculous. Fabulous. Which Fabulous. location did you go to? Were you in Lakewood ben or Aiken. you in uh, North Carolina? I'll weave it into hockey. It's almost directly across the street from our rink. Oh my gosh, it's one of my favorite places. We have oh, one yeah. in Lakewood. It's so good. Oh my god. Oh yeah. It's it's not hard to overeat when you go there. Oh yeah, I highly recommend it to anyone. Our Great place. Uh, our hockey director uh, mentioned. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I wonder where she. You know, we're talking about getting takeout. And I said something about Chipotle. He's like, Why don't you go to Cilantro Takira? To Takira? Yeah. And you, said, uh, you got it. And I didn't know what it was, and we tried it. And, We've been there three or four times now. It's and they awesome. do, yeah, it is awesome. You could do the uh, call ahead too, so you could like yeah. order what you want, and they'll just have it ready for you as well. It's I've gone there multiple times with many different people. I do love it. So, yep, that's very awesome. awesome. Well, Ted, I'm impressed. That is a good out and about. Well done, my friend. Keep drinking, keep eating, and keep supporting Northeast Ohio. Blah blah blah. Blah blah blah. Blah blah blah. Blah blah blah. Blah Our guest today is an author and celebrity. He has personally met the Rolling Stones. He has worked a Thanksgiving food drive with the Macho Man Randy Savage. He spent 50 years in broadcasting. Our guest today is Cleveland radio legend, Jeff Kinsbach. Mr. Kinsbach, it is... Thank you very much. <laughs> honor and privilege. Uh, uh, quick uh, quick uh, story here. Ken and I had have mentioned your name frequently when we talk about people we'd love to have on our show. And out of the blue, uh, my wife's company, as you know, um, did the AV for the RV show, which you were coming to. And you yeah. called and left a message on my voicemail. And I said, my goodness, God is tapping me on the shoulder saying, you need to contact Mr. Kinsbach and see if he'll come on. So, uh, and as I, as I said, when I called you, it's not every day that uh, one of my uh, um, 
and, and I, I, I'm going to make you feel nice and young. One of my idols from my childhood has left a voicemail on my phone. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I'll tell you, the years go by really quick. I this this year I'm going to be seventy, oh. which I really can't believe. It's like you know, I look out my eyes, I still feel thirty five until I get out of bed. <laughs> you know, it's like. But where the years go, they went fast, you know, but uh, we sure had a good time. I hit it at the right time. We had the right place and the right spot. The music was fantastic and no better time to do radio than back in those years, you know, and Northeast Ohio was a great place to do. Jeff, so, you know, it was fun. We have so many questions that we want to ask you, but I guess the first question I have obviously did my research. You started in radio when you were 16 at Wixie 1260. Can you talk right. about how you got started and that experience on being on the air? Well, I just always wanted to be in radio. I mean, I had a transistor radio back then, and I'd listen to all the uh, radio stations out of town, like uh, CKLW, WCFL in Chicago, WLS, WA, 50,000 watt stations, as well as uh, the old uh, KYW and, and uh, Wixie 1260 as well, because they had the boss jocks and, you know, it was just a good time for personality radio back then. Top 40 radio was uh, what was happening. And uh, so that's what I kind of grew up on and always was interested in radio. And I liked the idea of, you know, being able to put sound effects together. I always liked the uh, personalities that had sound effects and kind of created a theater of the mind. So I started calling up all the radio stations and saying that, uh, you know, I wanted a job. I was 16 years old and uh, finally, Wixie 1260, I think they got tired of me calling all the time. <laughs> and uh, Bill Sherrard and Marge Bush gave me a job answering telephones after school, Monday through Friday. And, you know, so I'd answer the phones, you know, 578-1260. And, you know, <laughs> I I had a deal with the people calling and would you play Sugar Sugar by Are They Archies? And, you know, all that. But, um, you know, one thing led to another. And eventually... I remember one night it was around 10 o'clock and Chuck Knapp was on and he had to go to a uh, personal appearance after his show. And we were just wrapping up the million dollar survey and the DJ who was supposed to come in next didn't show up mm. and was late or whatever the case might've been. And uh, make a long story short, uh, Bill Sherrar, the program director uh, called me up and he said, Hey, he says, you know, you've been hanging around, you've been, uh, you know, watching, how everything is done. Do you think you could uh, run the station for a couple hours? And I said, yeah, sure. I, I was like totally pumped. You know, this was my <laughs> chance. Just don't open the microphone. <laughs> Just push the buttons. All right. So I did that. That's what got me started. That was a lot of fun, you know? Yeah. I, I, uh, I don't know what Ken's uh, broadcasting story is, but uh, I remember growing up listening to, local radio. And I had a paper route at the time. Mm -hmm. I saved my money and I bought a microphone and then I bought oh, a wow. mixer and then I bought a, 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 a turntable and yeah. my idea, my friends, we would come over and we would, we would do uh cassette recordings and have our own. Uh, yeah. We that were good years. Yeah, absolutely. I have, I, I have a couple questions about, I know this will be a surprise for everybody. The buzzard morning zoo. Mm-hmm. This was a legendary, if, if you are too young to have experienced uh, this group, you have missed out on what I would say is a rite of passage in the Cleveland area. Um, they were 
the morning show in Cleveland uh, in the seventies uh, and eighties. And well, thank you. Uh, I, 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 I was thinking about this. Some of the things you guys did, unfortunately, I would say we can't do today. We oh yeah. Can't, can't tell certain ethnic jokes. Right. You can't tell Stash and Stella jokes. No. <laughs> God forbid you blow something up. Oh, I know. You know, <gasps> you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Yeah, right. I mean, I was, and I, I I'm going to go ahead, uh, you know, here in our podcast, I'm going to, I recall some of the jokes that were part of the token jokes. By the way, I was telling Ken, I recalled, and you can tell me if I'm right, 750 was when you blew something up, and 815 was when the token jokes were on. Am I, uh, yeah, it was actually uh, what we did is we scheduled blow-ups at 7.45. Okay. And then at 8.15 were the token jokes in the morning. And the reason we did that was to get as many of the ratings as possible. What you wanted to do is you wanted to cross those quarter-hour shares. Right. And, and that's how we did that. That's how we tactically, uh, you know, programmed certain things. And were we always on time? No. <laughs> you know. Well, so the blow-ups could happen at 8 o'clock. Who knows, yeah. you know? Well, I, but it I was, was uh, it was funny. I mean, the blowups came about because of all the gangsters blowing each other up in uh, in Cleveland. <laughs> and I remember the mayor at that time. No, we don't have any organized crime in Cleveland. Oh, gosh. Oh, huh? <laughs> but yeah. anyway, I think yeah. it was um, I think it was after the Danny Green uh, situation. Um, sure. One morning, I was on it. I and I asked our listeners. I said, you know. I said, this is unbelievable. Everybody's getting blown up. If you could blow something up, what would you blow up? Well, the lines just went nuts. And, <laughs> you know, so that's how that was born. That was really a lot of fun. Well, I, uh, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I recall several of these jokes that I've gotten a lot of mileage of out of the, a lot of mileage out of over the years, including um, what do the Chinese use for blindfolds, Ken? Dental floss. De Dental floss. <laughs> See, he's probably heard me tell that before. Now, I don't know if you heard this, Jeff, uh, but I did hear this from you. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, Stosh uh, was in a car accident, and he uh, he had a head injury, went and saw a cheap doctor, and instead of a metal plate, they put a paper plate in his head, and now every Sunday he has to go on a picnic. Right, exactly. Yes. Oh, yeah, all sorts of jokes like that. Oh. And, that was, and it was fun because uh, – all the jokes were listener contributed mm -hmm. well, and it was hilarious. I, I mentioned in our intro author, you published, I'm assuming it was you. I love the, uh, the publisher, by the way, the best of the token jokes of the morning is submitted by WMMS listeners is still available on Amazon. It's by Jeff Kinsbach and the publisher. The best part of this whole thing, the publisher is certain ethnic publishing Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, that opens the door to everything. Yeah. But, you know, back then, nobody, nobody was offended. Everybody had a good time. We all laughed. We all laughed at ourselves more than anything. Yeah. And that was the beauty of it. It was fantastic. It was a great time to do radio. So Ed Ference, mm -hmm. was he hired because of his pipes or his laugh? I think he was hired uh, originally because, um, he was working at uh, he was at uh, WCSU. He was uh, doing news there and and working on the air. And uh, he was a student. And I don't think they wanted to pay very much money. And he was interested in radio. He wanted to get in radio. And yeah, thank God he had a good set of pipes. 
And thank God even more that uh, he had a heck of a laugh. He really did. It was funny. Um, you know, speaking of Flash, and I'm not supposed to say this, but I'm going to say it to you guys because uh, him and I are going to get together at the Music Box on June 15th and do a show, just him and I. And, you know, it'll be nice being able to just be on stage and talk about some of the shenanigans and some, some of the stuff that went on behind the scenes that that you don't know about that was really a lot of fun. So it should be a good night, you know, and uh, we still stay in touch. I stay in touch with most everybody from the radio station back then. And, and, you know, we all get along and, and just kind of reminisce the fact that, uh, geez, you know, how did we get to this point so fast, you know, <laughs> just crazy. Jeff, yeah. these are great stories. Ted and I can sit here forever and, and and do this. The one question I have, obviously you and Ed were very influential and I'm not sure if many people know this who are younger, you guys are very influential with getting the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame located here in Cleveland. Can you talk about that experience and some of the things that you guys both did to help make this happen? Oh yeah, that was uh that was a big project. We got a call one day uh and this was probably in the late 70s, I want to say. We got a call from uh, ad man, Eddie Spizel. He used to run um, an ad agency here in Cleveland, and he had moved to San Francisco. And he would come in, and he'd produce a lot of the commercials with us, uh, like J.P. Snodgrass. He had a um, few other uh, good-sized accounts. Make a long story short, he called us from San Francisco, and he says, hey, he says, uh, there's a guy out here, a big promoter by the name of Bill Graham, and they're thinking of um, building a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And they're talking about putting this in San Francisco. And he said, you know, he says, I, I think it really belongs in Cleveland. This is something uh, that you guys might want to look into. Well, we looked into it and sure enough, it was pretty legit. The uh, record companies were starting to talk about it. And as well as others, a lot of the promoters around the country. And they thought, yeah, rock and roll hall of fame would be great. Yeah. Where to put it. So we started we immediately went to our audience, Flash and I, probably the next morning and started talking about this idea and how the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame should be in Cleveland. Because, first of all, we were calling ourselves the capital of rock and roll. And that was actually that term was given to us by the record companies because Northeast Ohio was selling more albums per capita than any other place on the earth at that particular time. I mean, we had the Brit British invasion. We had all this great music going on. And WMMS was a major part of that. The Belkin brothers, uh, Hank Lacani at the Agora. And furthermore, Alan Freed had coined the, the phrase rock and roll while he was at WAKR in Akron and on WJW850 in Cleveland. So it just kind of, and the Moondog coronation, uh, yeah, all that just kind of, you know, was fodder for us to lobby and say, yeah, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame belongs in Cleveland. And we had more bands coming through Cleveland at that time. We were breaking artists left and right. We broke Rush. And to make a long story short, we were really pumped about getting the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland and dead set on it. You know, I mean, we were like laser focused. So we really started a campaign to get people behind it. And it grew. It grew just from the radio side of things into the private sector. And then it got into the political arena as well. 
And luckily, fortunately, we had a terrific private sector. There were a lot of people who were willing to put up their money, including uh, WMMS and uh, Mallwright Communications. And also, um, you know, we had some great politicians. Back then, you did not have the the ridiculous uh, political shenanigans <laughs> that we have today. I mean, we had George Voinovich, who was the mayor. It was a fantastic mayor. And we had Dick Celeste, who was governor. And Dick was from Lakewood. And that's why the freeways got finished up in northern Ohio. You know, <laughs> But to make a long story short, uh, they worked together. Mary Rose Okar and, you know, countless other politicians as well, as well as the private sector. And everybody started getting on the same page. This would be a great thing for Cleveland. This is what Cleveland needed. The river had caught on fire. We were the mistake on the lake. We were the brunt of jokes cross country. Damn it. We weren't going to let this continue. We were going to start turning this boat around. And luckily, we were able to do that. We just promoted it on the radio kept the idea alive um there was one morning that we actually went down behind um tower city and and thought well if they're not going to start building the rock and roll hall of fame we will and flash and i got our microphones went down behind uh, tower city where we thought they were going to build it and next thing you know people are showing up with backhoes and bulldozers. I mean, the construction people in Cleveland are fantastic. They're willing to help. So we had a we had a great time there. And then uh, the owner, I remember that morning, the owner, uh, Milton Maltz, called up and said, get them the hell out of there. We've already made a deal. <laughs> so uh, it was some good times. Now, when I was uh, doing a little research for my for our interview here, I uh, found some uh, a couple videos online. And it seems as though a gentleman by the name of Mr. Leonard may have mm -hmm. made some phone calls to uh, help with the uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think he'll take credit for it. You know, I'm sure he uh, is wondering why he isn't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Museum as the, <laughs> you know, um, as the, the founding member or something like that. Yeah, Mr. Leonard was a great asset and, a you know, just a, a great addition to our show. And um, I still uh, stay in touch with him today. We are still really good friends. Uh, Patty and I, when we started our little journey in the RV recently, uh, stopped in Dallas and saw Mr. Leonard where he is living. And he had just won a big Super Bowl bet. So he was in a real good mood. So now, isn't it? Uh, uh, did, didn't Am I correct that there was a lot of question about is Mr. Leonard a real person? Mm -hmm. That was yeah. a big and and as you just said. Yeah, he's a real he's a real person. He's a yeah, he's absolutely a real person, and uh, actually started in Houston with uh, John Lander on a radio station down there as a character as Mr. Leonard. He just he was a disc jockey. He went by the name of uh, John Rio, and he just kind of formed this character, um, not wanting to come into work, and you know the way we all feel, and. It just took off. So he was doing it uh, on the morning show. I think John was doing all nights on uh, that radio station down there. And then John Lander was doing mornings. And that's where Mr. Leonard got his feet wet. And we eventually met him and brought him into Cleveland. And uh, we got along so well with him that he actually uh, moved up and was living in Cleveland for a long time. Wow. wow. And it was cool. a lot of fun. I remember Mr. Leonard came in one morning. And, uh, of course, you never saw Mr. Leonard. You always heard him. And uh, comes in and I go, uh, uh, hi, Jeff. It's me, Mr. Leonard. Yeah, I know I'm a little bit late. Yeah, you're late. All right. 
Oh, yeah, you know, is there, is there anything I can get you? What do you need? I'm, I'm here for you, Jeff. I said, well, you know what? I can use some more coffee, Mr. Leonard. And Mr. Leonard immediately goes, Flash, get him some coffee. <laughs> All right, what else do you need, Jeff? <laughs> Funny stuff like that. Good That's stuff. So good. Mm-hmm. Jeff, a lot of years of radio, as, as we talked about before, you've interviewed so many different people and have had some great interviews in your radio career. Is there any interview that comes to mind that you conducted that's most memorable for you? Boy, I'll tell you, you know, that is a tough question. There are a lot of people, wow, that uh, came through that radio station. Uh, I remember we used to have uh, Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show, uh, Dennis LaCorey, and um, they were just absolutely hilarious. When they come to town and do a show, they were fantastic on the radio. Uh, comedian Sam Kinison, he was absolutely incredible. I mean, one of the best on the air. He knew exactly how far he could go and always gave you a great show. Um, you know, people like um, Jeff Foxworthy, another great comedian. I remember uh, we were about wrapping up with Jeff Foxworthy. <laughs> he goes, I got one more for you. So, okay. All right. What is it? You know, you might be a redneck. <laughs> If your mom walks into the living room and says, you got to see this before I flush it. (laughs) I mean, you know, we also had, um, we would, we would get Ray Manzarek of the doors on the show a lot. And Ray was fantastic. We got along really well with Ray and, and Ray was the type of guy that, uh, I remember once we put some keyboards in front of him and, um, I asked him, I said, Ray, I said, you constructed some of the most amazing music ever made. I said, you know, how did you do that? You know, and he sat down, he started playing. He says, uh, well, he says, one of the songs that I really struggled with was Light My Fire. I couldn't come up with an intro for it. And he starts playing these chords and told us and showed us on the air, you know, with our listeners, how he constructed Light My Fire. And it was just a fantastic moment. Mm. Well, Mm. unbeknownst to us, there was an actor in town who was on his way to the morning exchange on channel five. Now, occasionally we would share guests with the morning exchange. They'd come on the air with us in the morning. And then, uh, you know, at at nine o'clock when the morning exchange came on, they'd go over to channel five and make a long story short, Richard Dreyfus was in town and he's in a limo. And he's going to channel five and the limo driver has us on and he's listening to this. And he says, the limo driver, I don't want to go to the TV station. Take me to that radio station. And the limo driver says, yeah, okay. You know, it's pretty close by. So I get a call from the security guard downstairs. We're in the Statler office tower at the time. And the security guard says, uh, actor Richard Dreyfus is here. And we were laughing. Oh, yeah, sure. Right. Who's next? Santa Claus? <laughs> you know, no, it's Richard Dreyfus. He's really here. So anyway, um, send him up. He comes up. It's Richard Dreyfus. So now we have Ray Manzarek, Richard Dreyfus, Flash and I, and we're talking music. We're talking acting. We're talking. Uh, what about Bob? That movie had just been completed. And Dreyfus is talking about how he worked with uh, uh, Bill Murray and how Bill just throw away the script. I mean, it's, there's not going to be a script and, you know, they're sitting around, they're having dinner and Bill starts going, mm, 
you know, and he said, I actually was sitting at the end of the table and we're filming and Murray's doing all this. He says, I actually got irritated by it. And he said, I knew I had to go with it. I had to go with my feelings. And he, he said, they took the scene. That was it. That was a take, you know, they did never redid it because it was so good. And it was just fun hearing that from those two guys, you know, you know, just a fantastic morning. Wow. That's unbelievable. Um, so, uh, to follow up. So, so you spend uh, a good deal of time at WMMS and then you made a move to, uh, I believe it was three WE at the time, uh, talk mm -hmm. radio. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm curious. You go from, well, uh, you know, happy go lucky, not so much, um, opinion stuff as more, Hey, uh, Cleveland's great. And we're here to promote Cleveland and play some music and make you happy to now afternoon drive where it's a little more opinion based things like that. Was that right. difficult to do to, yeah, to make was. that switch? It, it was at first. It, uh, it definitely was. We got into it and, and found our niche and, uh, and, and did pretty well in the afternoon. And then um, you know, that station uh, went through a lot. It uh, it got sold several times, and um, they decided uh, they had brought in a uh, program director, somebody I I forget who it was, but they decided that they were going to put us on in the morning. And I thought, fantastic! This is great. This is where we belong in the morning. We could do a fun, informative morning show on this fifty thousand watt AM station. Well, they had other plans. Their plan was, oh, we just want you to be newsmen. We don't want any humor or anything oh. like that. And it was it was really difficult. I mean, I have, in my radio career, not dealt with that kind of ignorance. And I was just, I, I was like, are you kidding me? Well, we didn't last long, you know, and they went on and 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 did something else. And, and so did we. But... Um, a real disappointment because um, there was a radio station in Dallas, Texas. And I can't remember the call letters. And they did a morning show. It was a, a news talk, 50,000 watt. I think it was WFAA, a big radio station. And they had a guy by the name of Hal on in the morning. And he had a cast of characters. And it was informative. It was funny. It was great. Uh, J.P. McCarthy did that up at uh, WJR for years. He didn't have the humor that we had. But uh, we thought we would have uh, really killed if they would have just unhandcuffed us, you know, yeah. taken the blindfold off. <laughs> wow. That's uh, uh, short-sighted. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, you know, it is. And and the sad thing about it is, you know, if you ever read the, uh, uh, the uh, cartoon Dilbert, mm -hmm. that's what it looked like. All those little cubes in that place. That place had no soul. Yeah. So, yeah. Well... well uh, after a, a little respite, you go uh, down to Akron where you, uh, I guess we could say, wrapped things up with a right. You went mm -hmm. back to the mornings. Um, yeah. Tell us what led you back to radio and to that station and, and, and that story. Well, I'd been talking a little bit with uh, Nick Anthony. They needed a morning show. They wanted uh, something to uh, um, kind of get them in first place. And they needed a morning show. And I went down, interviewed with um, Nick and with Tom. And they were, you know, hired me on the spot. And uh, then they said, all we got to do now is is figure out, you know, what we're going to do in the morning here. And I said, I have the plan. 
right here. And I held up my notebook and they read it and off we went. So they really let me do as I pleased. And I'd play some good music and put together some good bits. And next thing you know, we were in first place. So it, it was really fun. I, I, uh, I enjoyed working there. Uh, there were some great people to work with. Uh, we had a great staff and yeah, it was, it was fun doing radio and, and not, you know, being in a situation where it was a corporation and they were cutting staff or cutting corners or anything like that, because radio has unfortunately slid downhill. It's become very, you know, corporately run and what you get in one city, you get in the other and, you know, everything is cookie cutter, but uh, we're able to be a, a lot different and, and that made it really enjoyable. It was a good way to go out. You know, it's not like you really got out of what you're doing. You're just on a different platform now with you and your wife and this RV podcast that you guys have put together. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and actually what it's like to work with your wife? And I believe from the research I did, she really didn't have much of a radio or TV background and she was never really in front of the mic. But I've listened to a couple of the episodes and you guys sound like you've been doing this for 50 years. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, we call it Rocking the RV Life. RockingTheRVLife.com is where you can find us. But um, yeah, we I, I retired. I actually retired uh, when I was about 67 because she had just turned 65. And then she was on uh, Medicaid or Medicare, whatever that is that we get. And we were able to retire and go across the country and not have to worry about insurance. You know, the insurance thing is a is a big issue. So we started, uh, it was her idea. She wanted to get an RV and travel across the country and see all the things and all the sites that we never had a chance to see because we were working. So I at first thought it was kind of crazy, but um, needless to say, um, I got on board with it. I'm glad I did. It's really been a, it's been a really rewarding and fun experience doing this. But as we got started, um, we realized that yeah, there's there's a great side to it, but there's no nirvana. There's also, you know, a downside to it. And I don't know, we were sitting around, we were thinking, oh, maybe we should do some videos. But, yeah, know, the videos, everybody in the world does videos, you know. And we did some videos, and we have a YouTube channel. But um, I thought, you know what we ought to do? We ought to do a podcast and just maybe once a week and talk about the reality of RV travel. RV travel, living in an RV, going to places, I, I, you know, the subjects are endless. And let's talk about the issues that we have run into, some of the things that have happened to us, how we've been, you know, we had an RV that the chassis was recalled many times. And, you know, we went through a lot with that. But that's what got us started to do this podcast. And it's it's been very successful. We've been really happy with it. The plane dealer uh, contacted us, uh, cleveland.com. And they asked if we wanted to be on their platform. And we said, yeah, sure. And, and next thing you know, we've got a column every, uh, every once a month uh, on Sundays, we do a column in the uh, plane dealer and it's also on, uh, uh cleveland.com and it's about our travels and what we go through and everything. So, um, Patty was, yeah, she was not experienced and, when I was on the radio, she wouldn't even come near the microphone. I'd say to her, hey, you know what? I need a voice. I need you to do this or um, try this or call me up and say this. Um, this will help get them, some things start. She wouldn't do it. 
So anyway, uh, to make a long story short, we sat down and started to do the podcasting. I can't shut her up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Patty, come here a minute. Come on over here a second. But anyway, she um, she has really taken to it, and she has you know written. She's come up with some good ideas. If you want to stick your face in here real quick, I don't know if you guys can see her or not, but here she is. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. Hi. It's, uh, it's nice to talk to you. Well, uh, thank you. you, thank you for. Uh, being so gracious to give us some of your husband's time here. Yes. <laughs> You're welcome. So, but anyway. Thank she, you for interviewing she, him. Uh, absolutely. Now, did, does she uh, make sure that you refer to her as host of the podcast? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, okay. Okay. It, it's Patty and Jeff. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yes. So. Yep. Uh, well, goodness gracious. <laughs> but well, anyway, yeah. So it, it's worked out really well. And we... Um, we've been able to interview, you know, it's really interesting. You know, I, I, I've been fortunate to interview all sorts of entertainers and rock stars and, um, and the like sports figures, but it's also very interesting when you interview just normal, regular people, because especially out here, when you're on the road and you're traveling, everybody has a story. And some of these stories are just incredible. And, you know, I've learned a lot and, you know, you just have a lot more respect for people and life. And, you know, so it's been real rewarding. And at the same time, we try to be as informative as possible. And but uh, Patty's come a long way and, and she's uh, really good at this and, you know, pushes me around now. So, yeah, yeah well, she <laughs> she learned from the best, right? Yeah, because she'll, you know, she'll listen and she'll go, oh, I don't like the way I said that. Can we redo that? And oh. it's like, oh, now I've got to re-edit this whole thing, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, you can do that. <laughs> you know? yeah. so. Well, I uh, uh, at least your wife is interested. I know when we started this podcast, it was a running gag on our show uh, for what was it the first two months? Uh, Ken would say, yeah. "Ted, does your wife know you have a podcast?" And I'd say, "Not a chance." No, <laughs> no. no, I understand that. I do. You know, <laughs> yeah, it makes well, sense. They, they they listen to us, you know, when we're at home. Why should they be forced to listen to us on the podcast, right? Oh, I know. I used yeah. to say, oh, Patty, Patty would listen to me on the radio. She doesn't listen to me anymore. <laughs> so. Right, right, right. Well, uh, I can't thank you enough for, for taking the time. We'd love to have you back to talk more about RVing and uh, your podcast, if that's uh, if that's all right, a uh, little, uh, dare I say, down the road. Yeah, we we would be happy to do that. That'd be a lot of fun. Uh, Comments awesome. in on that. Yep, there's plenty to talk about. There are so many stories, so many things we've done. In well, we're going on. We're actually about two years and three months into our journey here. We don't have any end in sight, but you know, at the same time, there's always stuff happening. So sure. You know. sure. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time. And if I could get you to say one other thing, and that is right before we started, Ken realized that you used to do the, um, the station, um, ID for channel 19 back oh, in the yeah. day. And I, I'm, I'm wondering if you could, uh, let us know that this, uh, the channel 19 is a Mulright or was a Mulright communications group station. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. W-O-I-O, -O, Shaker Heights, Cleveland. 
a Mulright Communications Station. I feel, I feel like I feel like I'm 12 years old. I feel that like I'm, so great. Whatever. Yeah, that was I'm awesome. a bit rusty. <laughs> well, coming up next, good times. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. That's right. Uh, we appreciate it, and we look forward to talking to you again. Well, thank you guys, and uh, you know Ted and Ken, it, uh, it, it's been a pleasure. It really has. Ted, it's our overachievers segment. Once again, we need to talk to the staff. We have not been an overachiever before. Actually, I nominated you to be one because I think oh, did you? What they say? Around one time, but you didn't make it. But a tiny mouse has a big record. Okay. A, a Pacific? Yeah, let's do that. A Pacific pocket mouse is the oldest living mouse in human care. Patrick the mouse, that's an awesome name, is named after Patrick Stewart and now is nine years and 209 days old. Nine years, 209 days old for a mouse. That's crazy. Yeah. Patrick lives at the San Diego Safari Park, and the tiny mouse weighs as much as three pennies. Wow. wow. That's impressive. Congrats to, congrats to Patrick. Just keeps rolling on. Keep on moving, right? I, uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's impressive. Uh, the mouse is named after an actor. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Why not I Mickey? I was expecting that one, but sure. It could have been Mickey. I mean, that's that's a pretty famous actor. Well, yeah. That'd be, that, you know, or Mickey, Mickey Rourke. That would have been a good one. What about Mickey you Mouse? See, he had some good roles. Or Patrick Swayze, whatever you want. So There you go. go. All right. Well, congrats to Patrick the Mouse. I mean, I'll give it the Chuck Noll speech on this one. That's a hell of a run. Nine years, 209 days. Keep on rocking at the San Diego Safari Park. Not a dad joke. Ken, I got carded at a liquor store. Really? Yeah, I pulled my wallet out. My Blockbuster card fell out. The cashier said, never mind. <laughs> that joke was horrible. Ken, we're coming to the end of episode 108. One of the more memorable episodes, in my opinion. I mean, does it get any better than talking to Jeff Kinsbach? No, I... If you would have told me that through this podcast, we would talk to one of the icons that both you and I had as a child, listening to the radio on our way to high school and then obviously in college, I'd say you're nuts. That was very enjoyable. And, I, and we have talked to some uh, outstanding people, but to talk to somebody that we just looked up to so much and enjoyed their show, that was that, that was just awesome. Hats off to, to Jeff and as long as as well as his wife for taking the time to talk to us. It was so cool. I don't know that was on the bucket list, but I certainly would put it on now. Absolutely. And that's so funny. Like you did. I mean, you, you ran into him at a at a trade show. I mean, of all the things, you know what yeah. I mean? That was just that was so cool. That was yeah. that was such a great, great thing. We'll have to have him on again to talk about his RV pod, podcast and RVing and all that. I I, I find that very interesting. So I, th I think our listeners would, too. What do you got coming up? Obviously, I'm headed to South Bend here. What about you? I'm going to uh, spend some time in the fine town of Warsaw, Indiana for a nice work trip. Um, on purpose? 
Yeah, yeah. We got sometimes you got to get some stuff done. So I, I have that. Not too bad, though. That's uh, only like a three, four hour drive for me. I'm hoping to connect with some old uh, roommates slash friends from Ashland. So I have that more uh, cross well, not cross country track practice coming up. We have soccer. We have dance. I don't really have any other exciting trips. I wish I had something for you. My sister's coming into town for Easter, so that'll be super exciting. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't have a whole lot. Obviously, eating and drink will be very involved. I know I'll have a great out and about in two weeks. So considering I had a wonderful clean bill of health from the doctor. Oh, now how about this one? How about this one? I, and I should have brought this up earlier. I know you were nice enough to talk about some of the health, you know, issues you were going through, but then you lowered your cholesterol and all that stuff, which is awesome. So I went today. I've lost a little bit of weight. I know that's surprising. Um, I didn't say that. Got my blood pressure checked, my pulse rate checked. The doctor said this, and I actually almost forgot to tell this to Awen. I'm, I need to say this. You have, he said this, and I can't believe it. Your blood pressure right now, which was 108 over 66, he goes, you have the blood pressure of an eighth grader. And what do you think I said to him? Uh, I would guess you said, well, that's fine because I act like I'm an eighth grader. You know me extremely well. That's why we're friends. That is exactly what I said. I said, that's extremely fair. So uh, good stuff. Working on health. How about you? What do you have coming up? Uh, just South uh, Bend, just, Indiana. Yeah, Notre Dame. Try to make some playoffs and uh, win some tournaments. That's it. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, thank you. And uh, uh, I hope everybody had a good Valentine's Day. And, uh, uh, you know, the next time we talk, uh, we'll be gearing up for uh, uh, St. Patrick's Day. Oh, another favorite time of year. Boy, that'll be a By good By the way, job. you know, what's green and sits outside? Not sure. Happy Valentine's Special thanks to all our guests, John Grabowski, Dusty Sloan, and of course, Jeff Kinsbach. Thank you for the listeners for listening, Ted, for making us laugh. And until then, we're just two middle-aged men in Cleveland. Two middle-aged men in Cleveland is sponsored by Westminster AV, custom audio-visual packages for all occasions.